Well, it's great to be here this morning. And I want to kick off with telling you a story about a particular season in our lives. Uh, Liz had been, uh, she'd been tutoring at a polytech and she had a small business uh, doing workplace assessments for travel agents. And, and then we were having kids in the midst of all this. And then as the kids started going off to school one at a time, we got to the season where uh, our youngest went to school. And Liz was at a bit of a loose end. And I remember she announced to me one day, she said, I've decided I'm going to be the school gate pastor. That's what she said to me. I said, well, what, is, that, is that a thing? Like, can you do that? Like, she goes, I'm not going to tell anyone. But she says, the community that I'm a part of now, they gather twice a day and they gather at the school gate. So that's where I'm going to go to work for the Lord. I'm like, knock yourself out. You know, over the, over the months that followed, without a word of a lie, every week that Liz, you know, we would talk about every week, every week Liz had more ministry opportunities at that school gate than I did as the senior pastor of the church in my office during the week. Every week. You know, she would have women come up to her and just break down and start weeping. Women pour out their hearts, challenges they had with parenting, challenges they had with their marriage. At one point, there was a woman in the school community who had an affair on her husband. She became vilified by the other woman. Liz would be the one who would walk beside her through the school grounds as women just said horrible things about her. Liz walked with her through that journey, discipled her. She ended up giving her life to Christ in our kitchen some months later. Look, I tell you, it was amazing. It was like, it was like I had a problem with that. Because it was like, oh, I'm not sure if that's how the pastoring thing works. Are you allowed to do that? Because, see, I'm a pastor, so pastoring is my vocation. But what's been intriguing for me over the last few months, or last few years really, is that God has been starting to break down my box and my understanding of what pastoring is. And I've come to realize that while pastoring may be my vocation, the thing is, what I bring to that in terms of my unique gift mix creates a certain kind of pastor that I am. You know, if there's a pastor in there, one of their highest ranking spiritual gifts is evangelism, they'll be an evangelistic pastor. I knew a guy like this, pastor of a church in Dunedin, had a church of 300. One of his staff members worked part-time for our Bible college, and you know, she said, look, this is the absolute truth. They get between six and ten new salvations every single week. Well, the guy's unbelievable. He could preach on tithing and people would come crying to give their lives to Christ. Church never grew past 300. Had a ter- wide open back door. Had no idea how to pastor or shepherd people, but man, he could get them saved. You know, if you've got a pastor and they've got a, they've got a teaching gift, well, then they're going to be a teaching pastor. You've got a pastor with a high-ranking apostolic gift, then they're going to be a pastor that plants new churches and is involved in significant levels of, of leadership. I mean, that's how it works. And it made me realize that there's not just one pastor or box. There's, there are many, many different kinds of pastors. Now, this is important because the same principle applies to all of us. Whether you're a, a teacher, whether you're a student, whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a laborer, whether you're a picker packer in a warehouse, whatever you, it is that you do, There's not just one kind of those things because you bring to that a unique gift mix. There there isn't just one kind of manager. If you're a manager in a business, there's not just one kind of manager. You see, if you're a manager and one of your highest ranking gifts is 
uh, is, for example, evangelism, well, then you're going to be a sales manager, or you should be, because you can sell ice to Eskimos. You have an ability to be highly persuasive. It's part of the gift on your life. And hopefully, at some point down track, you're going to find that you're going to lead people in conversations to receive Christ as well. If you're a manager, and, and you've got an a high-ranking apostolic gift on your life, then you're going to be involved in franchising or starting new branches, or you should be because that's the gifting on your life. And absolutely, when it comes to being involved in church, you should be involved in a new church plant because you see things a certain way and God anoints that in your life for fruitfulness. If you're a manager and you've got a a high-ranking spiritual gift of teaching, then you should be a, a teaching or training manager. You should be involved in taking complex things, deconstructing them, teaching them to people so they can get it and have those aha moments and then go on to be excellent in the field that they are in. There are many, many different kinds of managers. And likewise, there are many different kinds of doctors. There are many different kinds of teachers. There are many different kinds of administrators. Because when you bring your unique God-given gift mix to what it is you do, that becomes your speciality within what you are doing. You know, the Bible is so interesting. In First Peter chapter 2, verses 5 and then 9, it talks about how we are a royal priesthood. How we're chosen. We are a kingdom and priests. Now what that says is that we are priests. That means you are a priest. You are a priest. Revelation uh, chapter 1 says that he made you to be a kingdom and priests. You are a priest. And there are many, many different kinds of priests. You're like, man, I'm not a priest. No, no, you are a priest. You're like, no, no, no. Priests, they're like, yeah, we're weird clothes. Yeah, look in the mirror this morning when you came, before you came to church. You know, priests, they're all like serious well, the serious priests are serious, but there are crazy priests and fun priests and priests with dreadlocks and priests who work in the marketplace and are making a difference in the world. And that is what we are called to be. We are called to be priests. You, we don't need any more pastors. We've got plenty of pastors, unless you've got a pastoral calling. But I tell you what, we need priests who are going to work in the marketplace and understand the call of God on their lives and the spiritual gifts God has given them so that within their vocation, they see the anointing of God coming into what they're doing so they are fruitful in the natural as well as in the supernatural. You are a priest. You know, uh, at the end of the Second World War in France, the Archbishop of Paris, uh, Emmanuel Suard, became disturbed by what seemed to be happening in French society, which, which is essentially the de-Christianization of French society. So he employed two priests to do an in-depth study as to what was going on. One of these priests, Father Godin, wrote a damning report, which basically said that there are now several generations of French people who have had absolutely no impact and no influence by the church at all. That essentially... French society was pagan, and it was worst among the working class. Now, this deeply disturbed Emmanuel Suard, a man who came from poverty himself. And so he embarked on a daring experiment that he later called the working priest. What they do was they selected priests who would still fulfill their priestly duties, perhaps on a Sunday, but during the week, they were to go and get a job 
and they were to work in the marketplace alongside ordinary people. They weren't to tell people. They weren't, they weren't there to be a chaplain. They weren't there to do that. They were just to be a worker, but they were to be a working priest and get alongside the ordinary average person that we all are and seek to be an influence in that way. Time magazine said it was the most... In fact, I've got the quote from Time magazine. Can we put that up? Have I got that? I think think the quote was, this was the most exciting and debated religious experiment... No, different one. Most exciting and debated religious experiment in a century. That's what Time magazine said. Because the world heard about this crazy idea of taking priests and putting them in the marketplace. After a few years, the, the Pope at the time shut the whole thing down. He was, he was afraid because not only were priests, some of them were losing their faith, but some of them were getting involved in the, in the, um, in trade unions because they were seeing the, the, the state that workers were in and the injustices. But then in 1965, a new Pope came in. And kicked it all up again. At its height, they had a thousand worker priests in Paris, in Lyon, and Marseille. And it caught the attention of the average person in the street. People began to write novels about it. There was a very famous novel written by a guy whose name escaped me right now. But the, the name of the book was Saints in Hell. It was a fictional novel based on the life of some of these worker priests. And it, it told about, about the worker priests going to work in the factories and in businesses, getting beside people, being a part of their lives, being there when their children died from infected rat bites because they were living, some of them, in such poverty, being there when, when young women would get pregnant and have abortions because they just couldn't face the reality of bringing another child into the kind of challenge and squalor that they were in. They were there beside people going through their their disillusionment, going through their domestic violence, going through suicide, all of these things. And in this particular novel, which uh, was widely acclaimed, this particular worker priest would go home at the end of each day filled with a deep sense of satisfaction because he was being God's priest in the community that God had called him to reach. You see, your vocation has a community. It's a community of people that are engaged around a task or or in a certain place. And if you are there, then God has called you to be a priest to that community. The word priest is an interesting one because, of course, when the early church was birthed, they chose not to use the word priest. They used the word pastor because they wanted to do away with the word priest and all of its encumbrances within within the Jewish system. So they chose the word pastor, a, a shepherd, somebody who looked after sheep, a humble word to explain what this task and this role was to be. Yet the idea of priesthood was still rich within the Jewish mind. And, and in these scriptures, we find it coming out again and again that we are called to be priests, that God made us to be priests. So what was a priest? A priest way back in the beginning was someone who was a reconciler between God and sinners. They were someone who was a reconciler between God and sinners. And I'm telling you, we are all called to be reconcilers between God and sinners. And we desperately need more worker priests. That's what we need. That's what God has called you to be. You are a priest. You are a priest in the place that you work. And I want to give us just three thoughts this morning on where do we go from here and what do we do with that? Number one, you have to know your giftings. 
You have to know your spiritual gifts. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, let me paraphrase it, paraphrase it slightly, for goodness sake, don't be ignorant of your spiritual gifts. Now, look, if you don't know your spiritual gifts, life, uh, sorry, growth track starts in two weeks. Sign up today. Get in there. You'll find out your spiritual gifts. If you've been through growth track and you can't remember your spiritual gifts, go home, dig out the book, and know what they are and what are your top two or three gifts. Seriously, I don't know how Christians can go through life not knowing the place that God anoints them in. Because that leads on to the second thing. Number one, you have to know your gifts. Number two, you have to know your speciality. Because your gifting, when it connects with your vocation, creates a speciality within which you are anointed. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says that the manifestation, the manifestation of the Spirit, talking about the spiritual gifts, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So you can be a priest. So you can serve in the community that you are. Your spiritual gifts are not just for life group. They're not just for church. They're also for the place that you are in. And when you understand what your particular bent is, your spiritual gifting, this is the place where God will manifest himself. When I do this, this is where God manifests himself and shows himself to the world. When you understand that in your workplace and you realize, okay, this is where I'm, this is my speciality. I may be a manager or I may be a doctor or I may be a student or I may be a housewife or I may be whatever it is, but this is my anointing. This is my speciality. So how can I lean into this? That's exactly what Liz did. I look back at it now and go, that was genius. She was a woman who had a faith gifting and an encouragement gifting, and she needed a community, and the community she was part of was a community of young mums. So she said, I'm going to go and be a priest, and I'm going to go and bring faith and encouragement to everyone I meet. And what happened? God led people to the Lord, and people were healed, and incredible things happened in that season because she realized that she had a speciality. She didn't try and teach at the school gate. She didn't bring out a little soapbox and say, hey, mums, let me just preach the gospel while you come out. She knew what her gifting was. Your gifting creates your speciality. And you've got to build a strategy around your speciality. You know, in the military, in the military, some guy who's got an incredible shot, you don't put him in a tank. You give him a long-range rifle, and when you put him on a building a kilometer away, and he picks off the, the, the big guys. The worst thing you could do is take a guy like that and put him in a tank. You build a strategy around his gifting. You don't put a guy like that in the infantry. Yeah, just run on, run in the middle of all that fire. What a waste. Likewise, you have a speciality. Build your strategy around your gifting in the place where God has you. Be a worker priest. We need this. We need this. Here's the fascinating thing. The New York Times did a research, uh, did research on the worker priest movement. And this is what they came up with in the city. They said the worker-priest movement in France did very little to change the political views of workers. On top of that, there was no real significant uh, conversions of people coming to faith in Christ. But, and we'll put the quote up now if we can, but this is what they said, that the worker-priest movement was the biggest here it is here, was the most important psychological shift in a generation. New York Times. The worker-priest movement produced the single most important psychological shift in a generation. What was that psychological shift? That within this generation, people began to turn their hearts back toward the church. The church began to come back into favor. People began to see it. What was it that did it? It was the personality of the priests out there, alongside people, sure of their beliefs, 
standing with people in their challenges, being willing to be part of their answers, being willing to invite people back to their homes. It's a powerful picture. We live in a country that is in large measure pagan. What do we need to see a shift in our nation back towards the church? Yes, more evangelism would help. Yes, more, uh, more big meetings would help. But you know what we actually need? We need the church to become the worker priests that God always called us to be, always called the church to be. And if we can do that, if you will do that, if I will do that, there is no reason why God won't once again bring a shift in our nation back towards him. And here's my challenge today. Will you do that? Will you accept the call of God to be a priest? To be a reconciler between sinners and the God who died for them and loves them? Will you see your workplace as not just a workplace, but this is your community and they need a priest? Will you go and find out what your giftings are, those things that God has uniquely anointed in you? Will you, will you do some thinking around, what does this mean within my job? How do these giftings produce a speciality where I can believe for God's anointing? And then will I take responsibility to be a worker priest where God has me? Because God changes a nation one by one. One by one. One by one.